Welcome to the Urgent Matters podcast. This is a series where leading experts from around the world share with us their latest insights into overactive bladder. I'm your host, Professor Paul Abrams, and I'm delighted that you have joined us for this latest instalment. Episode two of our series is Overactive Bladder During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And I should like to welcome Professor Christopher Chapel to talk to us on this. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic was completely unexpected. The impact on hospital services in the UK was dramatic and there have sadly been more than 130,000 deaths in the UK. What it meant was that patients with conditions that were quality of life conditions, as opposed to, say, trauma or cancer, suffered a dramatic reduction in the facilities available to them. They couldn't come to the hospital, they couldn't come to outpatients, and diagnostic services like urodynamics were closed down for quite a period. But of course, whilst there are threats, there are also opportunities, and I wonder how Professor Chappell will see our practice changing in the future based on the experiences that he's had during this very difficult period. So, Chris, could you tell us what it was like to be a practicing urologist, seeing patients on a day-to-day basis with overactive bladder, and then suddenly that stopped? Thank you, Paul, and thank you for asking me to contribute to this podcast series. Certainly, of course, as a practicing urologist, it came as a quite a shock having to adapt clinical practice, particularly as you emphasise, because uh, functional disorders, of course, understandably took second line in terms of uh, priority to life-threatening conditions. And clearly, this was a major problem for patients with life-destroying conditions such as severe overactive bladder. They couldn't, as you mentioned, get up to see us at the hospital. They couldn't even get access to their general practitioner, except, like for us, by telephone. Now, of course, it allowed us to to work on the basis of a history. What we found very useful was to uh, send out to patients uh, a bladder diary and get them to fill that out at home so they could at least report back to us what the situation was to augment the history we took over the phone. But a problem, of course, was not being able to examine the patient, check a urine specimen, and to ensure that they didn't have a significant post-forwarding residual. So although we could maintain a service, and the use of telemedicine was very useful, there were deficiencies in the way we could most effectively manage them, but rather better than not doing anything at all. And certainly for the future, I think we can continue using telephone consultations, which is a very effective way of managing patients for follow-up particularly. But for first initial consultations, I still think there's an important role seeing patients and, of course, checking out the aspects that I've already mentioned. Thank you. What would you say your most immediate concerns were in terms of managing overactive bladder patients, uh, particularly in terms of their continuity of care? I think the major problem is that patients often were in a position where they could feel neglected. Now, with a telephone conference, 
or a video conference, of course, you can catch up with the patient and you can advise them, as I've already mentioned. But the major problem is patients who are getting ongoing treatment, such as botulinum toxin, or who are having problems after sacral neuromodulation, couldn't actually be reviewed and treated as necessary, particularly botulinum toxin, which tends to wear off after around between three and six months. And so this has led to huge waiting times for patients, which we're now going to have to address. In terms of patients already on existing oral therapy, of course, we could advise them, but it, there's nothing to actually replace direct meeting up with a patient and discussing things if they're having problems. And so I think for the future, whilst there is going to be an important role for the tele and video conferencing, face-to-face -face meetings will still be very important uh, because of that particular aspect. I certainly agree that overactive bladder for many patients is very distressing and I suppose the irony of it was that it kept people in their own homes where in some respects they felt safer. Yet at the same time we were very aware that people needed to go out, they needed to exercise. And of course there were unfortunate consequences. I had to write to the mayor of Bristol and ask him to reopen all the public toilets uh, in the parks because I pointed out that patients with conditions like overactive bladder wouldn't be able to go to the parks because they always needed to know where the next toilet was. I'm very grateful that he responded and the toilets were reopened. So was there a specific effect and impact on particular patient groups, would you say? Yes, Paul, I, I fully agree with you. I think we always take it for granted that they're public toilets and particularly also the toilets at supermarkets uh, if you needed to go shopping were were closed and so it's a it's an important factor and it's it's very good to hear that you managed to influence the local council in that fashion now coming back to the question i think the major problem was a lot of patients weren't referred because of course they couldn't see their general practitioner so they had to suffer in silence and of course, many patients with neurological conditions found that their condition would often worsen and they couldn't uh, actually seek advice and help. So that was a, a major problem for many different groups of patients where they just weren't getting the advice and weren't being referred. No, I certainly agree with you. I think the follow-up issues... Uh, have been very important. And the adaptability of the urological and gynecological clinicians looking after overactive bladder was very good as they were flexible and took up telephone clinics, etc. So the transitioning to telemedicine, what do you think this means for the future, perhaps once the epidemic is under control? I think that we've learned a lot with telemedicine and realise that if we can save a patient having to drive up to the hospital, not be able to find anywhere to park, wait in clinic unnecessarily, then we can actually abrogate that by actually speaking to them on the phone. So there is a role for using that for the future. And certainly I can see that practice is going to change. But as we've already discussed, I think there is going to still be a need to meet up with patients face-to-face. -face. 
I think the use of telemedicine and video casting, of course, has also come to the fore. And certainly we've seen that we can very effectively carry out educational programmes. And I've seen that over the last year, not only in the UK, but also internationally, under the auspices of my other role in the European Association, where we've been able to provide an online educational programme, which has been very beneficial to colleagues in the medical profession. So I can see positive aspects coming out of this, but like everything, one has to find the appropriate context of the use of telemedicine. I certainly agree with you. The issues around safety are really important. I wonder whether we can have increased collaboration with primary care physicians, with general practitioners, who can do the important things close to the patient's home that you've mentioned, and that is to deal with urine analysis. If the patient is saying they have hematuria, then obviously they would go in the UK into a cancer pathway. So perhaps a closer collaboration between uh, what we call primary care in the UK and what we call secondary care, meaning hospitals, uh, is going to be important for the long-term future. So what would you say your outlook for overactive bladder care is as we move into 2021 and hopefully move out of the pandemic? I think it's very important as we move forward to the next decade that we learn the lessons that we've uh, seen during the COVID crisis. Telemedicine is going to be important, not in only in terms of effectively maintaining patients in care and to advise them without them needing to drive up to the hospital, find it difficult to find somewhere to park and then wait in the clinic. If we can avoid that, it's the benefit of everybody. It'll speed up our de development of the clinical services in terms of allowing us to treat more patients effectively. Also, it's much better for patients. There's going to be, of course, a continuing need to see people face-to-face. -face. But an important aspect is if we can work more closely with the continent services in the community, uh, integrating the care between so-called primary and secondary care so we can more effectively triage patients, start them at an early stage on treatment and therefore provide the best quality of life for patients. Another aspect, of course, is to provide more online education. Podcasts such as this, I think, are going to be very helpful in terms of getting the message across. And of course, I found with the COVID crisis, working with the European Association of Urology, that we've been able to do a lot more online education, lectures across the world and within countries. And certainly, I think that's a valuable lesson that we've learned. Well, certainly I agree. I think the whole issue around overactive bladder does need to be rethought. You've already emphasised the bladder diary and perhaps we could add symptom questionnaires. So the patient would be in a position to assess their own status with respect to overactive bladder. I personally think we need to concentrate on getting a lot of much better information readily available online to patients and their carers. And this, of course, will enable self-care, which all of us as physicians would use. If we had overactive bladder, we would modify what we drink and eat to make sure that we were not in difficulties when we might be away from a bathroom. I also think you're right to emphasise the importance of the continent services. 
And I think there need to be national initiatives in various countries. And in fact, we have one in the UK, which is the National Bladder and Bowel Health Project. And this is going to do all the things that you have suggested, from the patient's home with self-care advice, right up to the tertiary care, ensuring patients can get good quality tertiary care with botulinum toxin, sacral nerve stimulation, etc. Thank you, Paul. And thank you very much again for inviting me to this podcast. And certainly it's been a challenging time and we've learned a lot of valuable lessons. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Urgent Matters podcast series. And we hope that this has helped share further insights into overactive bladder. We would like to thank Astellas for their kind support in sponsoring this podcast. Please stay tuned for the next episode where we continue to explore key insights from experts in the field of OAB. 